Hello and welcome to the Scrubbing Up podcast. This is our first episode, which is going to be in a series featuring lots of different guests and focusing on women's health. Today, I'm really excited to announce that we have Holly Dunn joining us. Holly is a clinical nutritionist and registered nutritional therapy practitioner specializing in mental health and hypothalamic amenorrhea. I've been dying to speak to Holly for a long period of time to talk about lots of different issues, but today we're going to focus primarily on fertility and also on considerations for a healthy pregnancy. So welcome, Holly. Having me. You're more than welcome. Now, would you like to just give us a quick introduction to yourself and a bit of background about you and your specialist areas of interest? Sure. So um, I'm a clinical nutritionist um, and registered nutritional therapy practitioner specialising in hormones, uh, hypothalamic amenorrhea very specifically, uh, and mental health. Um, I one-to-one with around 50 individuals I work with presenting with irregular or missing periods so that's where the sort of hypothalamic amenorrhea um, I also work with a range of different health situations and health goals so you know it really really does depend on sorry Rosie <coughs> it really really does depend uh, on what the you know the clients is presenting with and, and you know what they're working towards um i'm i guess i'm really passionate about uh, evidence care and, and personalized nutrition as well and yeah. i think that's sorry rosie no no no. i was just i was just making kind of encouraging noises <laughs> oh thank you <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um and i Using comprehensive lab testing in, in my clinic is, is usually is important, especially if clients aren't coming with uh, lab results from their, their GP. So that's great. Really and I think, yeah. I think you, you know, you, you do have that lovely holistic approach, so that you've got the evidence there, which kind of backs up some of your, your treatment pathways. But you're also, mm-hmm. I know, quite, quite passionate about things like mindfulness and yoga practices and functional medicine Um, so it does seem to be a really a really lovely holistic approach that you have with clients thank you yes I I do um I think that um I would agree (laughs) (laughs) okay Um, perfect perfect so um what I think we should start with because we've got two quite kind of meaty topics we've had some really great questions in um so if we start with the kind of pre-pregnancy bit of this and we'll talk about fertility. So just to kind of get started, um, what is hypothalamic amenorrhea, Holly? Sure. So um, hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is a bit of a mouthful, um, is a form of chronic anovulation. So it's where a woman is not ovulating. Um, And this results, you know, in the loss of three or more consecutive periods. And in the UK, diagnosis usually isn't made until around the sixth month mark. Um, There's no identifiable organic cause. So HA is a diagnosis of exclusion, which is why it's so important that you go to see your your doctor, your GP uh, initially. Um, You do have a full workup. 
you know, there's usually going to be a referral to a gynaecologist or a reproductive endocrinologist if you're trying to conceive. Um, and I just want to touch on this, Rosie, if that's okay, because yep. I think the prevalence of of this uh, of this kind of hypothalamic amenorrhea is is on the rise in in my view. I think it's um, it's incredibly um, accounting for around thirty percent of all cases of secondary wow. amenorrhea. Yeah, I mean it's okay. It's it's big, and you know a very very um, heavily referenced uh, study in two thousand and ten uh, estimated that around fifty percent of women who exercise regularly um, will experience some form of menstrual uh, disturbance, and approximately approximately thirty percent of those women have amenorrhea. And if you consider the amount of women on hormonal contraception, um, we you know we don't actually know what the true potential um implications of this are and you know how just quite how widespread it, it might be mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I, I think that is sort of important to, to mention in terms of what causes it so um from a sort of bi biologically what's happening is that insufficient stimulation or suppression of of our reproductive axes so the, the hpo axis um, and that's typically re related to some form of stress so whether or not that is, you know, the typical psychological stress and anxiety that we we think about um, an energy imbalance. So an imbalance in between the energy that we're consuming through our diet um, and the energy that we're using up in our day to day activities, um, a weight change, usually a weight loss um, and, and exercise. Um, but I think the nuances around it are really, really intricate, intricate in, you know, what, what makes someone more stressed than someone else, for example, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there are a lot of influences, influences there. Sure. Okay. So, um, thank you very much for that. That was, that was a really kind of comprehensive introduction there. Um, in terms of women who are kind of more at risk, are there any, key features that you would, you would look for in a history um things like you know a woman's current intake of food a woman's eating behaviors or even specific sports that might be more at risk um i think certainly you know um a history of um any any mental health struggle um anxiety um um kind of overthinking behavior not that there's anything wrong with that um perfectionism um certainly um in those in athletic communities are more at risk i wouldn't you know that i wouldn't say that a specific sport is necessarily more at risk it really depends on you know the makeup of the individual their specific um their total stress load you know everything else that you know the makeup of their diet um, yeah. the you know whether or not they have a genetic predisposition I think that's a really interesting area in this mm -hmm. um, uh, so yes any form of dietary restriction whether or not that's you know low carb ketogenic um, just gen general minimalism in the diet um, it's it, it really does vary and it is it is complex I mean I touched on you know the genetics but there are other complications involved. There are, you know, if you have um, a malabsorptive disorder, a gut, a, an organic gut condition, so celiac disease, IBD, 
autoimmune thyroid conditions, you know, these can create added complications and, and nuances around, around this. Um, even things like hyperthyroidism, where there's an increased energy expenditure, uh, that can increase risk. Um, so yeah, a thorough case history is always very important. And, and, and touching base on all of the other sort of signs and symptoms, not just related to the missing period, um, you know, the mental health side of it, what someone's recall like their, you know, their decision making ability, ability to rationalize, you know, how are they feeling in themselves? Do mm -hmm. they feel emotionally numb? You know, these are all these are all related to low levels of of estrogen and progesterone. Um, sure. So it can be, um, you know, it can be it can get quite nuanced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think I'd certainly agree with that. And from what I've seen from kind of personal experience of going through HA in the past and also from patients that I that I see coming in more and more um, sort of fall into two categories. There's there's kind of ladies who are from quite a restrictive background and do often quite have quite a driven mindset and it's only now that they're wanting to look to conceive that mm -hmm. they've considered perhaps missing periods a bit of a problem and and often people are quite are almost looking for a diagnosis that isn't HA and and often we get asked um which we do we do look at anyway in our testing you know could it be polycystic ovarian syndrome mm -hmm. um could it be my thyroid and it's almost like we want a an, an easier perhaps fix or an explanation for this that is is perhaps less um less hard to take than actually there's a lot of lifestyle mm. things and psychological change that we're going to have to make here mm. um and it's not it's not as simple as giving you a pill or, or doing a scan that's, that's going to give you the answers and i think if you are in that category of high achieving perfectionist mindset that's really difficult to take um, and often being asked to slow down and consider other options is, is the last thing that you want to hear. Um, yeah, certainly. And I think one of the, um, you know, a nice way to reframe it, you know, is that this is a this is a functional disorder. You know, it is it implies that, you know, addressing specific lifestyle and behavioral factors like stress, malnutrition, intense exercise, etc. Um, are, are the way that, you know, the way to to provide a solution but it's also it can be empowering if if delivered in the right way you know mm -hmm. um that you know when other causes of of um and ovulation have been uh, discounted that actually it, it is in it, generally speaking it is in your hands and i do i do want to caveat by, that by saying that i think being sensitive to someone's um that again, the potential genetic um, uh, susceptibilities here or predisposition, sorry, are, are are also helpful because, you know, we can't help we can't help our genes. We there are neutral factors, our early life experiences that shape our our ability to handle stress. To stress, um, yeah. yeah. There, there's there's ways to deliver it but as you say I do think it, it can be sometimes quite a difficult conversation to have with someone. Sure sure and I know you touched you touched there on that um, you know with HA which we'll just call it HA from now on because it is a mouthful <laughs> yeah. um, with HA you are really surviving in a in a hormone deficient state and what what sort of consequences can that have not just not just on your mind which you which you did mention but mm -hmm. on your other body systems 
Yeah, so the key ones are, are bone bone health. So in terms of um, an increased risk of um, low bone density and fracture risk, um, and for for especially for younger women, um, this tends not to be a driving factor for um, to change because um, we don't tend to as a young women younger women we don't tend to have um, you know a, a real perception of what this what this could mean in terms of future um, future risk for bones. So bone density is certainly one. Um, uh, cardiovascular health is another major one. Um, estrogen in particular is associated with um, it has quite a protective effect uh, yeah. on various different elements of um, to our elements of our cardiovascular health. Um, so again, this is not something necessarily that is going to impact straight away, but longer term that, you know, we, we want to have estrogen and progesterone around uh, in significant amounts for the duration of our premenopausal um, life. Um, so those are probably two of the key ones. And then the mental health ones as well, um, possibly, and again, this hasn't been directly shown in through research, but through research done on um, women postmenopause, uh, a, a potential increased risk for developing dementia. But I think the the um, the mental health side of things, you know, if you consider the role of estrogen in terms of positively influencing serotonin release, that's our mood stabilizing hormone, yep. increasing uh, GABA in the brain, and GABA is quite a calming, neuromodulating sort of um, neurotransmitter. So again. The influence on our our perception of stress, anxiety, um, increasing synaptic connection, connections in the hippocampus. So this is again to do with memory and learning and uh, recall, um, and just generally that functioning of the brain and brain chemistry. I think that the slides are quite numb, emotionally numb, quite blunted, and so those sort of key key things many many other many other sort of symptoms as well yeah and I think again sort of explaining to women um that often this is reversible and that how they're feeling and how they might be feeling about the diagnosis may well change when they start to feel a bit better and actually getting that buy-in that you know the way you feel will change if we can optimize x y and z in your lifestyle um, and certainly, you know, we, we do see the same same sorts of changes around the time of the menopause. And often um, that's not our topic today. But women who are, in fact, requiring HRT do get started on something like an antidepressant first and actually don't get a huge amount of benefit. But once the HRT mm. begins to work, often the mood picks up, the focus picks up you know libido improves and and actually the woman is is back to somebody that she almost forgot that she had been um yeah. which is which is quite a nice a nice effect um okay so that's quite a lot on ha now there are as we've touched on lots of other causes of infertility but i think we should focus on ha today so um as we go into the recovery journey towards fertility um, what are some of the key sort of firstly nutritional basic guidelines and then also in terms of exercise you know is it safe for a woman to be exercising if she has a, a diagnosis of HA? Yeah really really interesting and um, you know it does need to be um, 
all these things need to be decided on a case-by-case basis but to start with um, nutrition um, really looking at total energy intake is probably paramount um, fundamental and a lot of women you know can just simply do this on their own you know just being being honest with themselves around what they're eating I do encourage people not to track calories so interesting yes yes um intake as well so looking at specifically um uh timing of of food around any extra activity so any um intentional exercise um morning food intake um you know if we think about we're designed to be um doing things not necessarily active awake and functioning um to a greater extent than when we might be asleep you know are we fueling perhaps we're saving up you know to, to eat more in the evening so really taking a little look at that and making just a few gentle tweaks here and there you know um, mm-hmm. are important looking at overall macronutrient balance so that's the intake of carbohydrates proteins and fats which are you know those three big kind of um uh big nutrients that we we sort of see on our plates and sort of visually three of them all three are very important <laughs> so um carbohydrates obviously are primary source of fuel the brain really only recognizes glucose which is um the the, the simple sugar form of carbohydrates um it does recognize ketones as well but i don't want to go down that 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 road today <laughs> um <laughs> you know carbohydrates also help to produce insulin which is very important for um actually neurochemistry and the uptake of tryptophan so you help us feel good and and that serotonin serotonin production um proteins again incredibly important for the uh, synthesis of some of the hormones that i mentioned i don't think i did mention actually like lh and fsh which are secreted by the pituitary um, yep. they they are you know based up from protein so things like fish um, and nut seeds eggs meats uh, dairy uh, legumes um, these are sort of your main proteins whereas you know your carbohydrates are things um, rice pasta oats etc yeah um, potatoes etc so some of those big blocks are important and fats very very important as well for again for you know the production of the the steroid hormones and the sex hormones um and nervous system health um and other things and then looking um status now i would say up to this point i'd say most people can get a figure do and then we get sort of down looking at micronutrients and there there it can be helpful look at the blueprint food diary uh, and tell you you know might be the Micronutrients, it's a very, very complex area here in terms of fertility. Um, certain tests, certainly for D, uh, B12, folate, and R, critical in terms of um, mm-hmm. general health um, energy. Um, vitamin D in terms of fertility, you know, we know there are vitamin D, the ovaries, the placenta, and the endometrium, so it's involved in both ovulation and uh, fertility uh, we don't fully understand how but we know that vitamin d is important um folate which we find in green leafy vegetables and nuts and seeds and uh, legumes very important for um 
So actually the development of the, um, the ovarian follicles, uh, it's important as well in, in pregnancy. We'll, I know we're going to come on to that slightly different in terms of what we're looking at in terms of supporting pregnancy uh, yeah. and, and things like that. So um, folate and iron and B12, again, very important for um, production of red blood cells, uh, energy in general. Um, there are a vast array of other nutrients, zinc as well, important for ovulation, important for hormone health in general, uh, as well as antioxidant uh, vitamins, A, C, E, selenium as well. Very important for protecting egg, uh, egg, sorry, egg, egg health and quality. And this sort of general fertility here, but it, it kind of plays a role when we're thinking about you know, making sure that we're, we're restoring health in, in all aspects of age. Um, I'm just going to touch on a couple more things from the from a dietary point of view. Um, we gut health. I know this is sort of you may sound like an entirely different subject, but it isn't. <laughs> it isn't when we're thinking okay. about um, sort of mental health side of things. Um, you know, the, the 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 composition is is supportive of mental health. Uh, Should I sort of bring it back to? absolutely holly i mean this is this is, all really, this is all really great information so so be my guest honestly i've just i'll touch on it so yeah. really really important that you know we we are at, um foods that are supporting that microbial environment you know that's the bacteria in the gut they do help to synthesize neurotransmitters they are involved in various different biochemical pathways that um support hormonal health as well so um, making sure that, you know, we're having a good amount of prebiotic fibers and dietary fiber to actually feed uh, these different species. So prebiotics, you know, including things like um, onions and garlic, onion, allium family vegetables, legumes. Um, and it all does get a little bit complicated here. But the, I guess the, the sort of the takeaway is, is that these bac bacteria do all sorts of wonderful things for us and they produce some amazing byproducts that help our neurochemistry. Okay. Um, thinking about relationships with food, I think if there is a history of disordered eating and thinking about, you know, are your emotional needs being met with food? Is there, um, you know, possibly working with a, a counseling specialist in this area is also really helpful if, mm -hmm. you know, you're struggling to implement any changes with diet. Um, and then can um, caffeine as well, which there is actually um, strong evidence to suggest that caffeine, you know, inhibits ovulation. Mm -hmm. But caffeine intake um, research does show us that, you know, large intakes of caffeine can increase time to pregnancy um, mm -hmm. and can increase miscarriage and, and low birth weights as well. So yeah. I think you know we know the pharmacological effects of caffeine it, they, it activates the the stress response yeah you know them. so i think being we don't have very strong evidence around this but i think being looking at you know caffeine intake and you know whether or not for example is it being had with food at what time of day you know that a total kind of caffeine load i think that can be helpful as well um, okay great yeah yeah <laughs> that, that's that's all really great information um and a lot of that I wasn't aware of either especially the piece about gut health I think is mm -hmm. is quite fascinating and it's one of those things that maybe we don't think about when we're trying to make the healthy choice 
Um, and I guess especially if you have had quite a restrictive diet, your gut health probably isn't in the best condition anyway, because um, it may well not have been exposed to a lot of the foods that actually you're now starting to introduce. Yes, that's, that's very, very, that's very true. Um, to kind of just just touch on this, so mm. at the moment in the UK, it's it's around at around the twelve month mark in a woman under thirty five is usually when we would investigate had they not conceived, and it's it's about ninety two percent of women will conceive after or before twelve months, sorry, and ninety eight after um two years, and that drops down to about eighty nine percent over the age of thirty five, um. And I guess that kind of puts into the picture that, you know, although you may be trying to conceive, it's it's worthwhile looking at all of these factors in your life because actually for your GP to investigate you on the NHS, they may want you to have been actively trying to conceive for a year. Um, during During the time that you are actively trying to conceive obviously you need to be having regular intercourse um I was just wondering you know you did touch on stress earlier Mm. how do you firstly identify stressors in your life and any kind of good tools to do that and then similarly any ways that you found quite helpful for clients to to deal with that stress and almost get a plan together to get on top of it yeah so um I would say that, you know, identifying stress can actually be very difficult for the individual to do. Um, there, you know, we, we all have perceived stresses in our lives. We all, we all have certain things that we know um, do impact us, but there are other things that we may not really know um, that are impacting us on a sort of deeper level, whether or not that's certain, you know, relationships in our lives or um, work, for example. Um, so, you know, the simple way, obviously, is to ask somebody, <laughs> ask someone what they, you know, what, what what are the stresses in their life? And, you know, what do they have anything in place um, to help protect, you know, their, their emotional health, their psychological health? And really based off, um, how, you know, we do very detailed sort of intake questionnaire, how people are feeling, things that we talk about, sleep certain you know people's reactions to certain situations um so there are i suppose there are there are different ways to go about um managing or trying to understand someone's stress i have to take into account that the way someone eats the you know in terms of low blood sugar high blood sugar um the activity that they do um, these also are independent stresses as well. So we're looking at that total stress load. Um, and um, I hope that sort of answers the first part of your question. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Can you um, remind me of the second half of the question? <laughs> I, can't what you said. I, th- I think you, I think you have, you have kind of covered it. So looking at lots of different causes and I guess as well, physical manifestations of stress. And I certainly have found with, with some some patients, more men actually, but often they will get physical symptoms of stress as opposed to wanting to say that mentally or even recognizing mental stress. So people coming in with back pain or lower pelvic pain or constant headache and actually digging a little bit deeper and looking at the pattern of pain, the pattern of the headache and trying to tie in together 
you know other stressful events that are happening around this time how do you then deal with that um and are your actions of dealing with it making it better or making it worse absolutely um i love that you mentioned some of those um i think skin issues is another one that we see um which often can often be triggered um by stress moves there's so many things really and it. it is very individualized so no i love i love some of those things that you've just said um and I think in terms of managing, it really is give someone things, take a bath, do some meditation, you know, have a massage, walk in nature. You can give someone. It does come. Really finding what effortless are they going to, what do they have a natural affinity for? Um, I do think when it comes to reducing stress avoiding some of those numbing out activity you know we often tend to just want to watch you know some people say the way they unwind is watching tv and that might be that might be all they can do or they have time to do if there are if if it's possible and feasible to find some ways that do actually gently elicit you know their their parasympathetic nervous system you know whether or not that's doing child's pose in the evening or you know something that can really access that sort of that those deeper sort of neural pathways I think that can be a really helpful uh, tool but it, you know, again it's got to be manageable it's got to fit in with someone's lifestyle if you know I think we have to be mindful of those things as well yeah and I think I think that's really key what you said there about numbing out activities and actually I think what's worthwhile highlighting is when a woman is going through a fertility journey and she's maybe just started to ovulate again, her cycles come back, it can be really uncomfortable because you are starting to feel things more deeply again, which you may well not have for a while. And it means that you no longer are able to numb out in the same way, perhaps, because a lot of the emotional pathways and parts of your brain are switched back on again. And there may be memories and emotions and things that come back that actually you didn't have to deal with for quite a while because you were in that state um so that itself can be a bit of a challenge i think yeah i completely agree rosie i think yeah i think that is um i think that's a beautiful thing that you've just sort of acknowledged there and uh, you know what what helps someone on on the road to that to ha right is probably there there are coping mechanisms in place there whether or not that's controlling food intake or exercise or the themselves these are in themselves can be numbing out activities so recognizing that and as you say possibly putting in some supporting practices in place before <laughs> before yeah. recovery happens uh, is is definitely a good way good way to go yeah Great. Um, the last bit on fertility before we move on to pregnancy. Um, so we had a question in about from a lady who has been told she has low egg reserve and yeah. she was asking, should I be reducing firstly cardiovascular or secondly HIIT exercise during fertility? She's not said how much she's currently doing or, you know, if she's um, had children before or anything like that. So it's all quite vague. Um, but is there any kind of basic exercise guidelines you would give for a lady that, that is trying to conceive? Yeah, so um, 
I'll touch on the lady's particular circumstances. You know, there's no evidence to suggest that um, exercise is going to directly negatively impact egg reserve. So just to want to make that clear, um, exercise can, you know, directly impact LH pulsatility, which can reduce your um, ability. I think that's the link most that we're most aware of um, in terms of quality you know i think stress management nutrition nutritional stuff too but coming back to the question um if you're trying to conceive again it does depend you know how much what time period if that activity is well fueled um public health guidelines you know in terms of exercise per week we're looking at 150 minutes of moderate activity uh, for fertility as well and actually into pregnancy over five days so this is for mental health this is for general health um, and that's that's 30 yeah. minutes over five days it's not actually a huge amount of exercise and and it's two fifty to 65 percent of perceived effort so you may be getting a little bit breathless but you can generally still hold a conversation or string some sentences together beyond mm -hmm. that um, beyond that then you know really if, if you're an athlete you know you should have um, um should be working with a, a registered dietitian or nutritionist or you should have some support there to help you to uh, manage your activity level supported through your energy and your nutrient intake as well we tend to forget that when we're exercising we use up a lot of micronutrients at a higher level uh, it's not just the total energy the calories that we're taking in so that that is something that really does need to be supported the problem areas we come is is with recreational athletes so people that are doing vast amounts of exercise and they're not you know necessarily at that um, elite level where they have this supervision and i think that if you know you're doing much more than your 30 minutes um five or let's say then i think to conceive and it is high intensity having a check-in with um, a doctor initially um with a nutritionist or dietitian or or a uh, even a personal trainer has, has some has some um insight for you and yeah. again yeah. i can't without knowing more about exactly how much you're doing and etc it's quite difficult to to advise on on the amount mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that was that was really helpful and, and what i would usually say to to patients is keep an eye on your heart rate if that's something that you track as well um and you do want to keep it at that kind of 60 percent level so that might be quite frustrating for people that are used to doing this really high intensity stuff or going for a lot of runs but actually trying to keep an eye on your heart rate and also making sure that if you are under a coach or you know part of a, a club a group whatever for your exercise they are aware that your overarching goal right now is fertility um so that you don't find yourself caught up in you know wanting to try and balance some of these activities with your fertility journey yeah yeah absolutely um okay lovely so what we'll do is we will move on to pregnancy so <laughs> this lady this lady has had a successful fertility journey because she's listened to this podcast and she's now um <laughs> she's now become pregnant um so just to kind of 
give a couple of stats. So the age of pregnancy in the UK has increased um, from 26 averagely to 31 since 1974, um, which is quite quite significant. So ladies are waiting longer um, to have babies, which, you know, has some effect on, on fertility. And, and that, the reason for that is there's a fixed egg number, which is about 2 million that ladies have when they're born. Um, and that drops down to about 25,000 age 37. Um, and at menopause, we do still have eggs. We have about 1,000 eggs, which we don't use. Um, but it does steadily decline from kind of your late, your late 20s. And I think uh, women are more aware of that now. But there's added pressures now with, um, you know, there's... There's lots of pressures, I think, in your 20s. There's careers. There's a lot of pressure in social media to maintain an athletic physique just now, which maybe don't go hand in hand with trying to get pregnant. Um, so, you know, th these all have parts to play. But what I thought might be interesting is if we touch on the kind of dietary, the dietary changes as we go through the trimesters and some struggles that, that women note. So primarily, you know, the first trimester, the nausea, um, morning sickness how to deal with that and then as we go into the second trimester women can often struggle with things like heartburn constipation mm. um, and more significant weight changes and body changes so if we start if we start in the first trimester of pregnancy um, are there any kind of recommendations that you would you would make for for diet changes for a lady that is struggling with that kind of morning morning sickness mm. Yeah, so um, certainly. So the morning sickness, you know, there there can be a number of causes. Um, and again, we may not be entirely sure what all of them are. But we do know that um, low blood sugar, so hormones can have an impact. And um, really, um, as, as simple as it sounds, you know, making sure that you're eating regularly, um, small, um, regular meals, if, if possible. We do sort of recommend, you know, there are no special diets in, in pregnancy. Balanced meals a day, two or three needed, and trying not to go five hours with. So that's really your overnight fast in the morning. You know, a breakfast skipper by nature. I think now is the time to start with a small breakfast uh, and make sure that you are, you know, what you're able, you do eat regularly. Um, when some helpful to keep um, a dry cracker or something, as sounds a bit like an old wives' tale, but it does work. Um, a dry cracker or something next to their bed in bed, and again, that's just a gentle way to bring blood sugar up. Um, just very gently in the morning and that can help with nausea ginger uh, as a ginger tea or possibly fresh ginger in some some warm water can also be quite nice um, if you're you know you're being sick a lot I think think you know you're really looking at your hydration your water intake is important and we do know that dehydration can also increase through pregnancy so the, the guidelines really are um, 1.9 um, litres of water a day. It's, it's 1.6 usually in most women when they're not pregnant. Okay. Um, yeah. if, if you're especially active or, you know, a lot, then, you know, obviously you'll need to up your water intake. But that does include um, fruit teas, um, semi, semi and, and skimmed milk. Uh, and and one glass of fruit juice up to one glass of fruit juice also counts as your sort of water intake so just being mindful of, of overall water intake and and when you do feel hungry um then just sort of um 
not going all out on the food, but making sure that that meal is kind of as nutrient dense as possible so that most of, of the, that your nutrient intake when you can. Um, but yeah. those are kind of some general guidelines, I think, with regards to Yeah. And, and I think um, I, would, I would echo that and also say that in some women, and we've had a, a few cases more recently, um, that if you are having severe intractable vomiting, you do need to, to contact your doctor because it may be you need things like antiemetic medications, actually, and you might need some fluids. But 90% of um, vomiting often can, can respond to those kind of changes in diet and lifestyle. Um, yeah. And... Okay, so going into the second trimester, so things have got a bit better. We've stopped being quite as sick, but we're now experiencing a bit of constipation, fatigue, heartburn, things like that. Um, is Are there any foods that we should be avoiding during this time? Certainly there's a long list of foods <laughs> to, to, avoid, to avoid in pregnancy. Um, generally and I think it is important to touch on touch on those if that's all right yep. um so yes certainly foods very it is important to avoid uh unpasteurized dairy um or mold ripened cheeses so these are things like brie or camembert uh and also the sort of blue veined cheeses like stilton as well um are you know baked or heated to, to steaming so for example if they're uh, on a pizza, for example, they would be fine. Um, wild game, which may be shot with lead, and it sounds like very out there, but you know, you never know. You might, you might, that <laughs> might take your fancy. Um, uncooked meat or any cured meats that are not cooked, um, and that's because they might be contaminated with with parasites, which is uh, um, an infectious disease called toxoplasmosis, which actually presents with cold or flu-like symptoms. Yep. So, um, so that's one. Um, deep water ocean fish, so not very common in this country at all, but marlin, swordfish and shark, which may contain mercury and other toxins. Um, we recommend no more than two servings of fresh tuna a week or um, no more than four cans of tuna a week as well. Yep. No more than two servings of oily fish a week as well. And that's your salmon, mackerel, anchovies, sardines and herring. Um, avoiding raw um, and partially cooked eggs actually that we have um, very 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 fortunately in this country as long as we've got own label on your eggs you are fine you're protected from salmonella but do avoid eggs from your local farms uh, and if they are unlabeled uh, raw, raw fish is fine actually unless you feel particularly fine as long as it's been frozen for several weeks so it okay. is important yeah it is important to check if you're in restaurants um uh, and usually supermarket sushi for example is usually okay yeah um, but that one's important and then finally um a couple more and then i'll i'll direct you to the website to look at these things in more detail um avoiding alcohol is probably is obviously no brain most people are aware of that one uh, no more yep. than 200 milligrams of caffeine yeah around one strong cup of coffee or two cups of instant coffee a day or two to three cups of tea um being careful of sort of green tea and chai teas as well which do contain a little bit of caffeine uh, and also decaf coffee which does contain a bit of caffeine as well <laughs> and so generally those are sort of the things to avoid in terms of 
I guess constipation again it, it does it, it it does depend I would say there are certainly um, we know that a couple of kiwi fruits a day can be beneficial can be helpful a couple of prunes a day making sure your water intake is sufficient um, eating one to two servings of legumes a day so around 80 grams of sort of beans or lentils or peas um, things like psyllium husk um, again careful with the supplement any you're buying these as a, in supplement form you must must check with a health that they are not contraindicated in, in pregnancy but generally speaking things like flax seeds and psyllium husk can be helpful um because still a little bit especially if you're struggling with food intake um the, so those are sort of the kind of constipation side of things um yeah yeah sorry <laughs> the heart then weren't we <laughs> that's that's all really kind of really good advice and a lot of a lot again a lot of things that you maybe don't think so much about um and particularly you know it used to be back in the day that people would say you're eating for two but actually you're, you're <laughs> nourishing you're you're nourishing yourself well um so you maybe can grow but not to panic if you are being a bit sick in the mornings that often you know if you're having regular small snacks you will be getting in enough enough calories for you and for baby as well um and it, and actually your calorie i mean it, it says that your calorie requirement goes up by about three to four hundred calories into the third trimester um slightly more if that's a twin pregnancy and again that's totally person dependent if you've also got an active job you're also still exercising you might also have other children so you might be running around your other children while trying to manage pregnancy so it is quite individual um mm -hmm. making sure that you are having kind of nutritious whole foods i think is kind of the the message that i'm getting from you yeah. okay um we had a good question in here so um a woman in her second trimester who is struggling with her mood being a bit lower and saying I'm feeling guilty for not loving my pregnant body when so many of my pregnant friends are. Any advice? Oh, well, firstly, I mean, you know, I think that, um, oh, it is, it's such a, it's, it's, it's an amazing time. The fact that everyone around you is telling you how amazing it is and you want to feel, you know, so, um, so grateful and it's a wonderful experience but you know I think we need to sort of see pregnancy as what it is in, in the sense that it is a you know you, your body's undertaking an immense um, a, an immense process of of growing another human and there you know you can certainly feel di dissociated and attached from more so than any other time of life I know menopause obviously there's a, this, a sense of a transition and a loss of self as well um, I think from a sort of nutrition lifestyle kind of holistic point of view, um, I, for, as a nutritionist, I would always want to sort of look at the, the, the diet to make sure that it is getting, you know, the, um, where possible, the, the right sort of, um, and this, you know, it doesn't need to be fancy foods here, just a combination of the proteins and carbohydrates together. Uh, very important so that uh, you can produce, you can synthesize and uh, sorry, you can take up tryptophan into the brain and make serotonin. So even small snacks such as things like oat cakes and almond butter are just a lovely way to have a tryptophan rich food with a little bit of carbohydrate so you can get that over into the brain and boost mood. Um, so, you know, if 
you know, for example, you know, you're focusing more on one macronutrient and not combining foods together. That can be a really, really simple uh, tweak to make to make sure that the, the brain can get what it needs. Um, okay. If she's got little children running around, obviously sleep is not something that we may be able to help at this point. <laughs> um, but making sure that, you know, there are enough perhaps you know if it's if someone else can take the the children for an afternoon or a day and make sure she can have enough sleep i think sleep is incredibly important for our mental health and our emotional health um and you know looking at support networks and um all sorts of other things i think i'm sort of going off on a tangent here i think it was this was related to mood my brain is all over the place today no that's that's absolutely fine i think and think again um bringing it bringing the focus off the external of your body which is really difficult and I think social media does make it harder um and actually to think about to go into that growth mindset and think actually I'm doing something amazing here plus I'm balancing this alongside the rest of my busy life and you know if I do have aesthetic goals for my body that can be something in the future but they might be a bit different absolutely um and trying not to compare yourself to to those around you even other pregnant mums yep that don't have children who are not pregnant um if social media is a trigger for you uh, as much as we all you know we all love it just possibly um disabling you know some of your apps for even a few days till you feel a little bit more resilient um yep. and you know spending time outside in nature people that you know who don't focus on you know perhaps those external um mark validation markers you know looks and 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 things like that wear clothes that feel comfortable for you um you know and do do other things if if your body your your belly your arms whatever it is is triggering for you you know make make other paint your nails or um you know go and get your hair cut or you know, little, little small ways that you know if, if you need a little boost um that, that sort of vision from the visual side of things from the body image side of things those things can can give you a little bit of a lift yeah yeah so so really shifting the focus i think that's a really nice way to put it um we've got one more question here and then we will start wrapping things up so I had a question in from a lady who has recently become vegan and has just found out she's pregnant. Is it safe to continue her new vegan lifestyle during pregnancy? Now, I would imagine this will be caveated with the quality of what her diet is like just now. (laughs) Um, But generally speaking, um, is, you know, is a vegan diet sustainable throughout a pregnancy, would you say? Um, it's possible. I, I would definitely say, you know, seek advice initially from your midwife um, and possibly from a registered nutrition professional as well. But if you're if you've not been a vegan for very long, so you're not well practiced, then you will need to be careful in terms of certainly your B12, your omega three um, iodine in particular. Um, if you're using plant based milks, make sure they're fortified with calcium, iodine and B12. Um, you'll want to take a, a pregnancy multivitamin um, to ensure that you you know you, you can cover off some of your your basic requirements. Um, it, but you know it is possible. Um, I would caveat that by saying you know if you're going through your pregnancy and you you do suddenly have a an urge for a piece of fish or um, a glass of milk or you know a piece of meat or something, I did to that as well. Um, I think often. Um, pregnancy can be a time where 
people do change you know their dietary preferences do change for a period of time and just allowing that to happen if it does happen um but certainly there are um there are some certain nutrients that really do need to just make sure we um and then you should be fine perfect that's that's a really lovely a really comprehensive answer again so thank you um and finally um in a society that is sadly these days led a lot by the pressures of social media and information that's easily available online which may or may not be evidence-based um firstly in terms of fertility and ha and then secondly in terms of pregnancy what would be your kind of your top two or three resources to, to go to if, if women want to do a bit of their own reading for hypothalamic amenorrhea and pregnancy yeah. um i would say for pregnancy i'll start there for pregnancy i think the um uh, the nhs start for life website is fantastic as is um nutrition um the british dietetic association's um healthy healthy eating for pregnancy it's called um they have a fantastic sheet that you know, you'll get a lot of the information through your midwife and etc. But really good place to just start to make sure you're covering off basics and essentials for your your nutrients. Um, there is a wonderful book for pregnancy by a lady called Lily Nichols, which is a it's a I think it's Lily Nichols. It might be something slightly different, but it's definitely something around that. She's written a wonderful on sort of fabulous foods for pregnancy, which I think also is just really great. Um, in terms of HA, oh, there's some wonderful, if you're research-minded like me, <laughs> you'll probably want to go look at the um, the Endocrine Society's clinical guidelines for HA, which is really, but I'm, I'm not imagining most people will go and do that. So um, there is a fantastic book by, um, so big plug here for uh, Dr. Nicola Rinaldi, uh, No Period yeah. Now What, which I know a lot of doctors and gynecologists do recommend yeah. uh, people take a look at. She's as well um you know very done a lot of research in this area and it's a really good starting place for for hypothalamic amenorrhea i think um there are others as well but i think i think she's sort of a big name in this field yep and i would i would kind of add to that there's a a lady called um renee mcgregor who's done a lot of work with with athletes um specifically but but women generally who are looking to to recover menstrual cycles um and she's got a lot of free resources online via her website as well as um kind of one-on-one coaching and a podcast as well so if you're looking for evidence-based um evidence-based guidelines that's kind of safe places that we can start um well thank you very much for that holly um is there anything else that you would like to comment on that you feel we've not covered no i mean there's always more isn't there because i I thought we think there's lots and but I think you know hopefully we've given um, people you know plenty of things to, to to think about and take away and again lots of resources and you know I, I'm very happy to answer any questions or point people in in the di- in in certain directions of helpful resources if needed as well um, uh, but yeah I, I did forget to mention Renee McGregor I think she's great um, uh, yeah I mean no nothing nothing else to say i'm sorry for my coughing at the start of the book not at all not at all and i know you're a very busy lady um especially around this time of year but where can people find you i will link all of these um these resources in in the box below the podcast but where is the best place to contact you 
Um, yeah, so either directly through my website, uh, which at Holly Dunn, um, Holly with a Y, uh, Dunn dot um, co dot uk, or through Instagram, um, which is Holly Dunn Nutrition. Uh, I, I'm on various other platforms, I think, as well, but I don't um, use many, many. I mean, I'm just find it difficult to give on top of it, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but uh, yeah, feel free to message me through there, and yeah, very happy to sort of point you in the right direction or help you if that's your you'll know if that's what you're interested in great thank you so much for that um and i would encourage anyone to point either of us any questions that have come out of this episode um and feel free to contact us and all of those um all of those links as i said will be available for you thanks very much again holly thank you so much rosie thank you for inviting me bye bye